Hey, welcome to Eastlake. So glad that you're here. Thanks for making it out, guys. Seahawks, 10 o'clock Sunday. You guys are rock stars and or not football fans. Either way, we are so glad that you're here uh, joining us today. We are on part two uh, of a series called Just This Once. It's a series on miracles, but like a unique take on miracles. So if you're a first-time guest with us, you're like, I got to leave because this is going to get weird. Uh, I promise you not. This is a place uh, full of skeptics, for skeptics. Uh, and uh, so I, I think you're going to fit right in here. We did start it last week um, and, and kind of led up to this idea. But he, here's the, the premise of the series. Like, we've all been in that spot where uh, we've kind of, even if you grew up in faith, there's, you, you come to doubt your faith a little bit. You begin to question God, the existence of God, the goodness of God, whatever. And we, we want to, like, uh, satisfy something in us to kind of prove that he exists and is good and loves us or whatever. And so occasionally we'll do like, and, we, and then we read through the New Testament and we see all these different miracles taking place. And we'll be like, all right, I just never see that in my life. Like, nothing ever good happens for me. Like, what if, God, you could just, like, move this cup? I'll close my eyes real quick and, like, wish that this takes place. And, like, just this once, and this is what we think, just this once, if you could prove to me through some sort of a miracle that you exist, then I'll believe. And that feels like a higher level of religion. Like when people tell their story about I was sick and then, you know, had a bunch of people pray for me and then I survived and it's like this miracle. I'm a a walking miracle. We look at that and we think how great that would be to have a story like that. Cause you know, pitiful of me, there's no story. It's just, it's just me. I lead a pretty decent average life. There's, there's nothing I could point to and say, without a doubt, God came through in this way. And we, we kind of prop that up as gosh, I wish I could have that. And I think what we're going to look at in the disciples life and their teachings is is a little bit of a different kind of appeal towards something different because it's easy to be inspired by people who believe in spite of the evidence around them. And that's kind of a, a, a unique spot to be in too. Like we've had people, we, uh, maybe, maybe the miracle didn't come through for them, but they still kind of believe that God was still good and he's still in control. And uh, even though I'm still sick and even though this is still taking place, like I, I, still, I, I still have my faith. My faith is rock solid. And we can be like inspired by that because there's some piece of us that looks at them and wants to have conversation with them and be like, you still believe this, even though all of the evidence points to the contrary. You believe all of this, even though like the circumstances aren't great for you. One of my favorite character, SNL characters, they during, during like Weekend Update, they always bring in like, you know, the girl who talks too much at the party or this or that and the other thing. Uh, one of my favorite characters is uh, Kenan Thompson plays Michael Che's neighbor, Willie. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen him, but he's like the optimistic, this is Willie right here. He's the optimistic person in spite of like the bad circumstances around him. And my favorite line, he did this a couple of years ago. Hey, you know, like my pastor always tells me, you can't sleep here, Willie, you know? And he's like, but super positive about it. You know, it's like, okay, this is great. I love it. Like, I want your optimism. You see people who are optimistic and you want it in spite of what it can offer. Or a little closer to home this week, my, uh, my wife and I are planning a trip to take the kids on a European vacation next year, which is really cool. We've never uh, been over there and done that sort of thing. It's our 15-year wedding anniversary and 10 years at the church. And so next summer, we're, we're, we're like in the planning stage. We've been saving and saving and saving and all that kind of stuff. And one of the steps that you got to do if you're going to leave the country is do the whole passport thing. And the kids have never had a passport, and ours had expired years ago. And so we started the process of filing the paperwork for that. And I don't know if you've ever done that, but it's not like it's not easy, right? There's like birth certificates and social security numbers, and you got to get pictures pictures and they got to be a certain size and you better not be smiling, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's, it's difficult. And so my wife took on the job of doing all of the legwork for that. She offered it and I was like, yours, you got it. This is great. You're going to, 
you're going to do all this stuff. And so she filed all the paperwork this last week. And I'm, I'm not, this is not like a pastor story, like this is, you know, happened years ago or whatever. This happened like on Tuesday, okay? So I'm in the living room and I see all the paperwork on, on the counter. And so I pull it up and I'm, I'm piecing through all these kind of things. And yeah, there's Clive's and there's Grayson's and there's so-and-so's. And then I get to mine and I'm reading through this and uh, she's got, she got the name right, she, which is good. She got the birthday right, social security number correct. And then it got the hair color. And she wrote, guys, she wrote gray down for hair color. And I, I said, what are, you, what are you doing writing gray down as a hair color? Like, I'm, you're putting me in an awkward spot. I'm going to get to the TSA agent, and he's going to be like this, and he's going to be looking at me, and he's going to be like, gray, I mean, I see a little bit in there, but you really think it's like your hair color at this point. I don't know if they're going to let me go through security, babe, based on your bad information here. And she looked at me, and she said, oh, that's so cute. You still think it's brown, huh? You still think you got brown hair? That's so cute. Wait till you see what I wrote down for weight is what she said next. And I was like, oh, hardcore. Okay, awesome. We believe in spite of the evidence. Like, I can still look in the mirror, and if you ask me today, what color hair do you have? I'd be like, it's, yeah, it's brown. With it. like a, I'm, like, starting to get some gray in on the sides. You know what I mean? My dad blessed me with that. So anyways, uh, hope in spite of the circumstances. And we can prop that up and we can, we can be like, oh my gosh, that's the kind of person that I want to be. I want some of that even if I don't, even if it doesn't work out or even if there's nothing to it. Like it's really, it's really impressive uh, people who have that kind of a faith. And, it, and we can kind of translate that over into some of the disciples. We, uh, church history has taught us that most of the disciples died based on what they believe, right? I mean, Peter's crucified upside down, Paul's beheaded, all this kind of stuff. Oh man, to believe, to have that kind of strength of hope and to, you know, that kind of stuff. And I, what I said last week is I think that if we had said, oh, John, what impressive faith you have, um, he would say, well, I had a lot to go off of. Uh, I think the reason that he writes his story about the teaching and the person of Jesus, we know it as the fourth gospel, the gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, his story um, is he gives, it, he gives it away right at the end of, of the whole thing. He, wrote, he says, I wrote this down because I saw something that I cannot deny. I saw a person do some things Seven signs specifically is what we, we read about. And then he'll go through and, and throughout the book of John, this was the first sign we talked about last week, turning water into wine. This is the first sign. It was that at that moment that we began to believe in Jesus, not believe what he has, was saying. We, had, we were already following him. He had a unique take on the Torah and the law and the Old Testament scriptures. We were already walking with him and learning from him in, in, in his teachings. But it was then when he did this whole thing, when he took empty buckets that were kind of empty jars that were symbolic and, and talked about this new wine that's coming in. And, and it was just in that moment, we began to believe in him, we believed in him, which is different than believed what he had to say, right? And then that was the first sign. Today, we're going to move moving on to the second sign. As you can imagine, throughout this series, we'll just keep progressing uh, on all of these different things. And then John, a few years later, uh, would uh, write down uh, letters to his church, that, to the church. And, and they were collected for us in the New Testament canon, known as 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. They get progressively smaller. But in 1st John chapter 1, verse 1, here's what he says. Here's why I'm writing this to you, in, in case the last one we, we you know, kind of missed or bypassed or whatever. But in 1st John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, that which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at and our hands have touched, meaning 
this is not third-party knowledge. Somebody didn't tell us this story. We saw this. We physically saw this. This we proclaim concerning the Logos, the word of life. <clears throat> the life appeared. We have seen it and we testified to it. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. All this is, is us passing along what we have seen and heard. And we think you should trust in Jesus the way that we trust in Jesus. But we understand that we saw some unique things that you may not have seen or you may not see. So for them, for us to go to them and be like, oh, your faith is so big. He'd be like, no, our faith is minuscule. Listen, we had so much to go off of. We, it wasn't like a big leap of faith for us or a big leap of hope for us to say, we think Jesus is the Logos of life, the Messiah, the, 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 whatever the divine being is that you think out there, we think it's embodied in him. We had so much to go off of. Please do not praise our immaculate faith. If you heard the stories about what we saw, felt, touched, experienced, and heard, what other options do you think we had? I'm not saying that you're gonna see this or do this, but let, all I can do is, listen, I'm a simple man. I'm just passing along what I saw, what I touched, what I experienced, and what I heard. So that's, that's, that's new. That's big. That is the reason this, old, this entire book exists. All of these things, all of these New Testament writers sat down and go, listen, we just gotta pass along what we know. Here's what we heard from the teaching of the person of Jesus. And I don't know what you're gonna do with it, but here it is. Here's my version of the story. Here's my take on it. So uh, John chapter two had the whole wedding in Cana. John chapter three, if you're following along, he goes into Jerusalem, has the thing with the, the temple there. He meets the Samaritan woman. We're gonna pick it up in John chapter four. You can follow along if you're reading along at home and, and catch up in the middle. But in John chapter four, he heads up to Galilee, heads back up to Galilee after going into Jerusalem. And in verse 46 of John chapter four, it says this. Uh, once more, he visited Cana in Galilee where he had turned the water into wine. We, that was two chapters ago. He's just telling the story, just kind of keeping people up to date on this. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. Now, a couple of things I, I wanna draw your attention to on this, right? And the very first sign that he gave us, the very first miracle uh, that he, he, he showed us uh, w- uh, was, was basically uh, in the context of a wedding. And I don't know how many somber weddings you've been to, but probably not many. They're always joyful occasions, right? No matter what, what's happening, this is, a, this is a, um, uh, a, a, uh, an exciting time to be here. This is, this is fantastic. Listen, as a pastor, I get to be a part of the like two really big days in people's lives, the day they get married and then the day that they die, right? And those are very two different experiences. And, and, and it's, it's I, I can, you can notice the tension. I mean, you've attended both of these two, so you can notice it too, but there's an exuberance that comes with, with weddings. And so a joyful context. And then in this context, not a funeral yet, but pretty close and on the brink of it and probably headed in that direction if nothing changes, in a sober or painful context, and Jesus wades into both things. Geographical note about this, uh, Capernaum would be about eight hours to the east uh, of, uh, of Galilee or southeast or whatever. It'd be about eight hours walking distance. Not easy to get there, two or three hours by horse or by chariot or whatever, not close. So this man, this royal official traveled a great distance to get to be able to, uh, to approach Jesus, which means there must have been a great burden, which means the son must have been very, very sick. We know he's a royal official. Um, most likely he was, would be in the camp of what's called the Pharisees. They had the ruling council was full of Pharisees, uh, sorry, Sadducees, 
Sadducees and, and Pharisees. Sadducees and Pharisees, those are the two types of things. And they were two di- very different people. Um, the Sadducees tended to be very wealthy, very intellectual. Uh, the Pharisees were very um, anti-Rome. Uh, they would be more of the people's people. Uh, they would be, they believed in life after death. The Sadducees think that when you die, you die. That was it. God, you, we are here for God's benefit uh, and, and, and because he loves us, but it's, it's very, very short term. Um, and, and this would be like, no, we believe in all the miracles. We believe in all of these different types of things. They, they, would, they would be at war. It would be like the Democrats, Republicans of the day, uh, not the same political issues, but the, that same warring faction, two different factions. He would be on the side of the people who were like, listen, Rome's a, a necessary evil. We can, we can make money. This is good. We've got protection from them. We're making money. You know, we, this, we're, a good, uh, we're a good entry point into kind of the, the rest of the world. We're, we're far enough away from Rome to kind of not be like always have them overwhelming us, but we get the benefits of having Rome as a backer in case somebody tries to fight us. They're, they're working with them. They're, they're typically the wealthy and, and they would have more power, by the way. We, we hear more about the Pharisees uh, in New Testament scripture because they're the ones who have the most against Jesus. But the, Fer- but the Sadducees would be the ones with the most power, most likely, and the most numbers, the most influence, and probably the ones who uh, were, were definitely anti-Jesus for sure because he kind of proposed a conflict to the system. He, he is attacking the religious system. He's already done this in Jerusalem once. Um, people are following him instead of going to the temple and doing their, their thing. And so they would have massive issues with them. So it would be a big deal, all of that to say, it would be a big deal for him to show up in all his regalia and all of the things that he knows, uh, that everybody knows about him. He would be a person of power coming to meet a person who is kind of anti him and we should be enemies. We should not be for each other. And this is not like we're on separate th- turf. This is crossover of turf. And I'm approaching you because I have a need. There would be a, such a weird power dynamic. It would be palpable for all of the people who are visibly watching this with their own eye. Can you believe somebody like him is asking a favor of somebody from like him? That would be something that would be undeniable. And we may not catch it in our modern day reading of this, but this is awkwardness at its finest. This is like British office type awkwardness, okay? That's how good this awkwardness is in this scenario. But when you are a desperate father, when you are a desperate father, you will do just about anything. Have you ever had a boss come to you and they're a boss for, the, for like, you know, most of your time at this employee, they, they tell you what to do. You know where the power dynamics lie. And then every once in a while, they'll pull you aside and be like, so I, like, listen, I know you're like, like a religious guy or whatever. Um, and I've got some things going on with my family or like my, my, my wife is like, you know, leave me, I need some relationship advice. And all of a sudden, like it's weird for you because you're like, there's a power dynamic at play. I, I'm in, you tell me what to do most of the time. And now you're coming to me for advice because your kid's doing crazy stuff and, and you know that I've got good kids or whatever and how do you parent? And all of a sudden in that moment, there's like a power differential. That's what's taking place here. All right, and you're a desperate father. Isn't it interesting that all of our intellectualism, all of our disinterest of anything spiritual, it all gets pushed aside when somebody we love is suffering. This father goes, I got no other options. What do I have? On this day, he's a father who's scared to death that his son is about to die. So verse 47 says this, when this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and he begged him, I know this isn't kosher. I know this is gonna be embarrassing probably to me, my family, and all of my colleagues and all of my peers, but I'm begging you to come and heal his son who was close to death. By the way, 
eight-hour distance, two or three hours at least by horse or whatever, or camel or whatever, um, this is, yeah, that'd be a, that's a, probably more by camel. I think they walk slower. Anyways, um, this would be quite a significant deal, leaving his son in his time of need. At what point of desperation would you be like, he's about to die, but this is of great importance? My guess would be that this father was not fully in the decision-maker mode on this. I would imagine, and I'm reading into this, that there is a mom and a wife at home who is like, our son is dying. If there's any chance that this guy has any sort of help to offer, if 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 these stories and these rumors of healings are true, then go get him. And the, and the dad's probably like, no, I'll stay with him. She's like, no, listen, I can handle this all by myself. In fact, you are of zero help at all. And I'm reading into that a little bit, but that's probably true. You're not helping in any sort of, I got this covered, you go take care of this. And don't you dare come back without him, right? Don't you dare get there and, and you're like, oh, I'm so high and mighty, I'm a royal official, right? Who am I to, yeah, don't like set that aside, go and make this thing happen. uh, Jesus responds in verse 48 with like this observation, unless you people, and he's categorizing people here, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And he's, by the way, he's doing signs and wonders. So he's a part of his own problem that he's addressing, but he's basically making a concept for these people. You, You say this, you say, you, you only believe based on what I can do for you. He's, he's making an observation, but it's also kind of like a backhanded critique. And you know what this feels like because you've had this before. You've had somebody, you show up with your new car at work and they go, oh, that's cool. How much did that cost? And you know that they're, or your parents have done that before. And they've said, that's really nice. That's a nice house. How much did it cost? And you know that they're asking and it's, it's like under the safety and, and the guise of like an, an, an easy question, but they're also critiquing how you spend your money and your spending habits. Have you, you noticed that? It's an observation. Or your daughters walk down the staircase and you're like, oh, that skirt's nice and short, right? You're making an observation, but you're also like, you're not leaving this house. That's a critique of what you dress code is, is chosen to be. We always have observations that are follow up with critiques. Jesus is doing this. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. So publicly, there's already awkwardness. And then Jesus throws this out there, kind of stirring the pot a little bit, right? Making an observation that probably everybody knows, and it's a chance for this royal official to fight back or to throw something else or to leave or to make a scene or say, who are you to talk to me like that or whatever, But again, when you're desperate, what do you do? When your son is, when you're scared to death that your son is going to die, what's your response? And so his response is simply this, sir, come down before my child dies. Listen, your critique is legit. Am I here simply because I think you can do something for me and I have no other options? Yes. Am I going to become a follower of you afterwards? I have no idea, but just this once, oh, please, just this once. I'm so desperate. When I was thinking through the emotions of the dad in this scenario, assuming this to be true, right? And, and I know that there's some skeptics and be like, well, this could be a made-up story about you. Whatever, right? Let's just assume that it's true for, for a few minutes, right? Assume this is true. Think about the emotions going on in this guy. And the, the closest thing I could come up with, the thing that jogged my memory to be like, okay, I remember, I remember 
identifying with that kind of a person through the context of a movie. And that movie is a few years old now, so I'm going to be dating myself. But the movie was John Q. Do you remember John Q? This was Denzel Washington at his Denzeliest. He was at the top of his game. He was so good. And he goes into a hospital and he pulls a gun and he creates a hostage situation demanding money. All right, and I know I'm giving the plot away, but the movie's 20 something years old now. So if you haven't seen it, you should, whatever, it doesn't matter. I'm not even ruining it for you. Uh, come to find out later on, as the movie progresses, you don't figure this out for like the first hour. Um, he's doing this because his son was denied a heart transplant because his, his insurance wouldn't cover it. And this was his desperate way of, of doing it. And then there's the problem of finding a heart, but then a heart makes itself available. Oh gosh, it's so good. It's so good. Now, hear, hear me out. I'm pretty anti-hostage situations in general in life, okay? Like, I'm not like pro-hostage deals. But in this one, you find yourself rooting for Denzel. You go, man. Listen, I'm not usually into this kind of thing, but you got to do what you got to do for your son, right? And I would like to think that if my kids were in that desperate situation, I would have some sort of creative way. Hopefully, it doesn't include a hostage situation, but I would like to think that I would, or at least I have to say that for, you know, most of my kids, or something like that, right? And I, last, last week, I mentioned I had a sinful child, one sinful child. So this week, I, as people were walking in first steps, I had to hold him in my arms, and I was walking, I, you know, I was like, here's Clive right here, and somebody walked in, and she goes, is this the sinful one? And I said, just look at him. He's pretty easy to tell, isn't it, right? I mean, it's right there. So um, he's cute, but whatever. Anyways, uh, that's the kind of emotions I want to get. That's the, kind of, that's the kind of feeling I want to have when I'm reading this story, to be like, this is a dad who's crazy, desperate. Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus asked him to do what he's been asking every single one of us to do and every single person since this place, this whole thing took place. Jesus asked this nobleman to trust him based on the testimony of other people. I'm going to ask you to do something and I'm going to ask that you trust me even though you uh, have not actually seen a miracle take place in person before. There's no, well, he's done it three times. Who's to say he wouldn't do it a fourth time? All you all you've have on me is what you've heard about me. You heard about what I did in Jerusalem. You heard about some of the miracles taking place. And you think that maybe I could do something for you. I'm gonna ask that you trust me with your son based on the stories told by other people. And here comes the test. Verse 50, go, go home, go home, go. And I, I, I kind of came up with my own little thing about his, his response here. Go on about your business. No need to worry, no need to hurry. I'm not coming with you, but you have nothing to worry about. What if I told you just to go home? Well, Jesus, that's not going to work. I'm going to need you to come with me. Everything I've ever heard about is, you know, you lay your hands on him, you point in his direction, abracadabra. I don't know what the, I don't know what the process is, but like what I know about faith and healing is that this is how it works. Yeah, but what if I told you just to go? Go home, your son will live. And I would imagine, I would imagine at that point there was a pause, a minute of this nobleman processing his options at this point. I've 
reduced myself in the image, uh, in like social image to be able to ask this question. You've already made a cutting remark about how I'm shallow and I'm only in it for like the personal benefits of it. I've shown my desperation and now you're asking me to simply trust you that it's all gonna work out and to go home and to like go back and spend my eight hour road trip on back thinking about, did I just miss an opportunity? Could I have pressed harder? Could I have called in some favors, being a man of influence, to force this teacher to come home with me? Uh, What do I do in this situation? Maybe even thinking about, Jesus, if I go home and you're not with me, there will be two deaths in our family because my wife will kill me for coming all this way. And then coming home, and she's like, where's, where's the guy? And you're like, oh, it's cool. He said to just go home and not worry about it. I'm going to kill you. What are you doing? This right here is where we all live. This is a lifetime reduced to a day. This is us. We are all asked to take Jesus at his word based on the words and the stories of other people. What is the New Testament if it's not this. Here are the stories and uh, uh, the takes and all of the thoughts and the experiences of people who experienced Jesus firsthand. We write these so that you will believe. We're just passing along what we know. And then we are left to decide what to do with the Jesus that we read about. We are all asked, every single one of us, every single day, to take Jesus at his word based on the words and stories of other people. I mean, we gather together, and the purpose of gathering together for us on on Sundays is simply, all right, a chance to encourage one another, grow and and listen and learn and inspire ourselves to go out and live out Jesus' teachings in the world, to say his way of doing life is the best. What's the precedence for that? Why do we believe that's the case? Well, we believe he conquered death in a unique way. Well, why do we think he did that? Well, because these people wrote about it, and this is what they saw, and... So we're just taking it at their word. We're living our entire faith based on the testimony of other people. We are invited to go on with our unanswered prayers, confident that there's something to this man named Jesus. And we've all seen people who do it well. Again, they inspire us. They love in spite of the sickness that still is prevalent in their body or in the body of the people that they love who are suffering. We've all seen it with people whose divorces go final in spite of constant prayer requests that things would eventually get worked out. Uh, We've seen it go on and resonance and resilience in their faith even though their kids never do come home and relationship continues to be broken and Christmases are still awkward and the most painful time of the year. And yeah, we've seen it. There has been zero promise of your life gets better. Um, In fact, Jesus constantly told his disciples, listen, the world is gonna hate you because they hated me first. Like their life does not get any easier with this. But I'm inviting you to trust me that this is still the best way to do life, to love your neighbors, to pray for those who persecute you, to think of others better than yourself, to wear love in such a way that people know your disciples by the way that you love in the same way that I have loved you. A unique call, a unique invitation to do life a certain way, and we trust that that's the right way, based probably not 
on miracles that have taken place in our life. And if they have, that's great. I'm definitely not trying to discredit those. I I definitely feel like it can and has happened. And I'm not like an anti-supernaturalist. I'm just thinking, I just think that there's a higher and better way. And I don't think I'm alone in this, as we're gonna see at the end of this story. But let's continue. Verse 50, how do you respond? He's not getting what he came for. He's not getting who he came for. The man believed the words that Jesus spoke to him. He believed the words and then he behaved as if he was somebody who believed the words that Jesus spoke to him because he went home and, or he departed for home. He walked away from the only person who could help his son because he decided, I guess I'm gonna trust him at his word and not just his word, but the testimony of the people who also have seen him do the things. He walked home by faith and not by sight. Verse 51, and this is kind of where the story takes a little bit of a, uh, uh, for lack of a better word, churchy turn, all right? This feels like a Christian movie. If you've ever watched a Christian movie uh, before and you're like, oh, this is, this is good, I like this, and then all of a sudden it turns in one way and you're like, oh, this is kind of a, a unique. It, oh, they always end well and they always end, it, the knots all get tied up or whatever. Verse 51, while he was still on his way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time, this is where it gets like, okay, here we go. Uh, When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. You know where this is going. Then the father realized that this was the exact time which Jesus said to him, your son will live. So he and Kurt Cameron all believed... Uh, I get it. I, I un- understand. And there's a piece of me that's like, ah, I like kind of more raw endings for this. And, and I think that John isn't trying to church this up. I think he's really just trying to tell you what actually happened. He and his whole household believe this was the second sign that Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Now, let me close with this. I, I, I mentioned briefly that I think um, the disciples would say to us, if we were like, oh man, your faith was inspiring, they would say, listen, we had so much to go off of. All we can do is write about what we know. John then records for us Jesus speaking with his disciples, saying something absolutely brilliant that I think is so good for us as we kind of at some points have kind of gone, I wish kind of like, our life could be more uh, miracle-driven. I wish that our, my religious experience could be more, there are undeniable things that I could point to that be like, how could I not believe this act, you know, happened to me? I, I was short, my, you know, my, I got a bill in the mail, and it was for $250, and I, I didn't know where I was gonna pay for it, and then like the next day, I got this like, letter in the mail, and it was a check, and it was for $251, and I was like, thank you, Lord. You know what I mean? You've heard these stories, and you're like, that's really cool for you. Um, and they just, uh, and if I had something like that, or if I opened up a mailbox and there's a check for five grand or whatever, like there's a certain number that we'd be like, okay, if it's over <laughs> X amount of dollars, I'm like, that's a God thing. And then that, I'm like, oh, that's really nice of them. Thank you for thinking of me, right? <sighs> we want that. And yet Jesus meets with his disciples and listen to this word that he says to them. Because you've seen me, you've believed. Once again, he's doing the observation slash critique. It's really not all that hard that you believe who I say that I am after what I've done. It's not like a great leap of faith. 
Like you're so impressive. Observation, backhanded critique, slightly. But blessed are those who do not see and yet have believed. There will come a day when I'm gonna ask people to trust I am who I say that I am based on not what they've seen, but, but what you say about me in your testimony and your stories about me. And lucky are those people because their trust is at a higher level than those who've seen miraculous things and then choose to believe. And a relationship is always uh, on parallel uh, structure with trust. The more trust in a relationship, the better the relationship is. A lack of trust is a lack of a relationship. When there is no trust in a relationship, there is no relationship, even if a wedding ring is involved. Even if he still wears his wedding ring, if you don't trust him, there is no relationship there. I know that you know legally we're married, and legally half of our stuff, blah, 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 but like there's no relationship there because there's no trust. Trust is always the defining factor in a relationship. Therefore, Jesus would say, look at these people who don't have to have signs and wonders to believe who I am, that they instead believe your story about them, which is why John goes, I wanted to write all these things down so that you will believe that Jesus is who he said he was, who I think he was, but don't take it just from me because I got to see all kinds of things. Don't be impressed by my faith. I'm impressed with yours when you would choose to believe in spite of sometimes the circumstances that you're going through or in spite of all of the unanswered prayers that you live every single day with. That's the kind of faith that is truly inspiring. And that word there, blessed, can also be translated as lucky are those or happy are those. In fact, in the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter five, that word diakonos exactly means that. Lucky are the people. Lucky are those who are meek, for they will inherit the earth. Lucky are those who are persecuted for what they believe, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Lucky are those. Here's a beatitude that didn't really fit in the beatitudes, but it's, it's right here for us. Lucky are the people who have not seen all of the things that you've seen, but still choose to believe based on the stories and the testimonies of what you've said about me. For their trust level, man, it's through the roof. That's the kind of faith you should be impressed with. You've seen me. You've seen all the things that I've done. That's why you believe there's something more to be said. So a faith that is like based on just this once, if you do this, then I'll believe. If you do this, then I'll believe. We're fighting for a secondary form of faith. We're really asking for something to like provide this false sense of confidence when he's offering us so much more, a higher level of relationship anyways. If we'll just get past that and instead go, I believe you are who you say you are, not because I can point to a tracker necessarily in my own life, but because Matthew wrote something about you, Mark and Luke and John, and, and, and the way that they, why would they have written it? What's the motivation for it? And, what, and I choose to then live my life in spite of the circumstances and in spite of this, my faith is enormous because I'm trusting that you're in control that you do love me, that I walk by faith and not by sight. And a faith that says I'm walking every day of my life as if Jesus is who he claimed to be and that I'm really as loved as he says that I am. Let's pray. Father, that is our prayer, that you would guide us in that, that it would be so much easier sometimes if it was like 
black and white and far more clear, but you invite us into a higher level of trust because you know how much that dominates a relationship. Give us the wisdom to know what that looks like in our life, the courage to act on it. In your name, amen.